it is game changing. Like I feel the difference in everything I do and how I show up and what I'm seeing and noticing. That's what people feed off of, you know, when I work with them too. So I'm like, well, wait a second, why don't I show you how to do this? Welcome to the Amplifying Cognition podcast, formerly the Thriving on Overload podcast. I am Ross Dawson, a futurist and entrepreneur fascinated by the unlimited potential of the human mind. Each week, I speak to incredible people who are working on how we can get to next level thinking, sense-making, and decision-making so we can keep ahead in an accelerating world. My guests share how they amplify their productivity, the success of organizations, and the potential of humanity by using an array of technologies, including AI, innovative processes, and sometimes simple everyday practices. I do this podcast to learn. I learn so much from every guest I speak to, and I'm sure you will too. But if you are intent on amplifying your cognition, simply go to amplifyingcognition.com to access a trove of useful resources, including the Humans Plus AI learning community, resources and downloads from my book, Thriving on Overload, the Thought Weaver app, which allows you to interface more effectively with AI, transcripts from all of our podcast episodes, and far more. That's amplifyingcognition.com. If you enjoy this episode, please subscribe to hear more and help others to find the podcast by liking or sharing. It makes a massive difference, so thank you. In this episode, we learn from Reagan Robinson. Reagan is a futurist, business strategist, advisor, and investor working with founders and C-suite executives to help them make future fit. She is currently Chief Futurist and Executive in Residence at Happy Ventures, with extensive experience working in startups, high-growth companies, and global firms, including Vice Media and Edelman Digital. You can find more on her work at reaganrobinson.com, that's R-E-G-A-N Robinson. And in this episode, we talk about spending time in the future, ways to be able to use our imagination for creating value, things that make you go, hmm and uh, hyper-awareness and many other fascinating topics. So please stand by for the great conversation with Regan Robinson. Regan, it's awesome to have you on the show. Well, thanks for having me. I'm super excited for our conversation today. I love talking with people who share a uh, love of the brain like I do. So So you are a futurist and strategist and you help uh, leaders to amplify their cognition, uh, we could say, to see the future and to... uh, create it better. So what's, how do you do that? Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, in a world that is constantly changing and evolving, which, you know, is our current and slash forever reality, uh, at least I believe, um, I help people and companies spend time in the future so that they can be an active agent in creating it. So this is about being proactive, versus reactive. And I I do it in a lot of different ways, but essentially I do this through insights, tools, and experiences that really empower visionary people and companies to see and think differently so that they can gain the confidence that they need to strategize for the future more effortlessly. So I like to say sometimes that I'm a Michelin-starred chef where I'm constantly experimenting with inventive recipes, I'm trying out new ingredients, and I'm trying to push the boundaries of our profession profession as futurists um, as much as I, I can. And it's really in response to the biggest mistake that I see, which I'm sure you come across um, or encounter a lot as well, Ross, is waiting, to, waiting until it is too late to think about the long term. 
right? Short-termism is the greatest threat to your company or your career. Um, I think it's the biggest reason why it or you might not be around in five years. I think it's a major contributing factor to why nine out of 10 companies fail. And so that's that's why I just think it's it's so important. It doesn't matter if it's your business, you're working in someone else's business, or a lot of what I do and talk about is actually applicable you know, in your own career as well. So you use the phrase, spend time in the future. So how do you take somebody to spend some time in the future? <laughs> yeah, I know. It's funny as I, you know, have been on this journey the last few years, especially focused on being a futurist. The language is always interesting. It's like people are like, what? Spend time with the future? What the heck does that mean? Um, and, you know, again, there are a lot of different ways that I do that, whether it's workshops, whether it's um, programming, whether it's like a multi-month journey. Sometimes I actually go in-house um, and do things for a, a longer term. But really, you know, all what all this is about is, is foresight, as you know, right? And so, you know, a lot of what I do is around my approach to foresight, which is which is, well, it's complementary to some of the traditional methods. It's actually a little different um, in three ways. And I'll share kind of the top line and then we can kind of dig in. So first of all, it's holistic. So I am a generalist futurist um, and I use a unique blend of hindsight, insight, and foresight across a litany of topical areas. So while you know, I don't go super deep in AI. You know, if I need that expertise, I, I bring that in. I have my fingers <laughs> in a lot of different areas. Um, and really, that enables me to bring big picture, uh, divergent thinking, and possible futures together that my clients and those that I work with aren't even considering, right? So it's more than just connecting dots. It's like, no, actually, here are dots that you're not even seeing. Um, because a one of the biggest problems I see is, is when people are narrow casting, they're focusing on the familiar, they're in their own echo chamber of their industry or who they're talking to. And so um, my approach really tries to kind of break people free of being stuck where, where they are currently, if you will. Um, the second thing that's a bit different um, is, is it harnesses imagination and intuition. Um, and these uh, capacities really drive the process to enable a more continuous, dynamic way of being, as I like to say. Um, it really fosters iterative learning and discovery. And so while there is some data involved in the process, it's not, it's definitely way lighter than what I would say some of the traditional methodologies that, that I used to use before, before I kind of landed on this new way of approaching things. Um, and then the last thing is it's mind body connected. And there's really kind of two parts to this. So first of all, practicing well-being, in my view, is a foundational skill set. Individually, as a team, as a company, and that's because you have to create the conditions for this way of thinking and being. You have to activate your rest and digest uh, nervous system as opposed to your fight or flight. And so that is key. If you're not starting there, like, in my view, why even bother? You know, you really need to set that foundation. And then also critical to that is really recognizing the unconscious biases, limiting beliefs, assumptions, and really taking action to prepare your mind, address those emotions, challenge assumptions, and get unstuck. So it's almost like 
and this just popped in my mind, but maybe it works. It's like you're cleansing the palate, <laughs> if you will, before before the work actually begins, before you even start to like spend time in the future or even think about, you know, big ideas or something long term. And so, you know, these are all much harder to master, you know, or even practice than perhaps it might sound initially. Like this work, I would say, is not for the faint of heart, but I believe that they are superpowers. And when you combine them together, they're almost the ultimate superpower because at least in my experience to date, very few people are actually really cultivating all of these things at the same time. Fantastic. So we are one of the, the classic things around, you know, being a f- well, working with leaders around the future is first thing is you have to get them to believe things they wouldn't have believed before. And yeah. so, you know, you have a certain you know, belief, okay, this is what uh, the, wor- the way the world might work uh, or it might happen. And then, you know, to create value, you have to get them to think more things than they've thought before to believe, oh, well, actually, I never even imagined that or I never conceived of that before. Now I'm aware of that and can understand that or things I didn't believe were possible, I now believe are possible. And so things mm-hmm. we need to incorporate into our thinking. So there's all about, you know, essentially expanding the scope of what they think and what they uh, what they believe and around what, what could come to pass. So, so how, do you create experiences to take leaders to that place? I do. Yeah, there's do. A, and again, there's a lot of ways that I approach this. It really depends on where I'm meeting people because sometimes I work with people who they're on the bus, so to speak. Like they get it. They realize, wow, okay, they may not know all the stuff, but they're like, well, I'm ready. I'm ready for this. <laughs> you know, I'm ready to take the leap. Um, and then there are people who are kind of, you know, sort of on the opposite side of the spectrum and, and need more work. And so you know, one of the things that I, I try to do, which sometimes can be a bit much for people, but it always works, is, you know, we try to open the aperture as big as humanly possible. And so wh- what I do is I have them do different types of exercises where they are, you know, independently or with their team really brainstorming, okay, what are sort of the big things that we need, you know, that could impact our future? What are the major sort of disruptive forces um, you know, cause it's always still going to be through their lens, um, that we think might be important or could impact the future of our company, um, our customers, et cetera. Well, nine times out of 10, what they come with is like, you know, super small actually, right? It's still very, so, but yet they've thought, cause I'm like, no, go big. Really? Like, no, I want to see all kinds of post-its. I want to see something totally crazy, but they, and they thought they've done the exercise. (laughs) And then when I start to say, okay, well, here are all the other things that you weren't even thinking about. Sometimes I've I've been told, sometimes it can be kind of fire (laughs) hosey. Like, wow, all the things that really starts to open their mind to the fact that, okay, I I've made, first of all, assumptions about what I thought was going to impact me. I didn't really realize this over here, or I could have forgot. Maybe I didn't think this is important, but you know, you're bringing this to the fore. And then, you know, I try to go through and this is, you know, sometimes this work takes some time is, you know, what if, what could be just, you know, my goal is to try, let's try to get everything out on the table that we possibly can before we even 
go to the next step, which is more where in my process where sort of ownership uh, and intention comes into play. But let's get everything out so that we can see as many possible things as we possibly can uh, as sort of a starting point. It also is helpful because then we can put things in the parking lot. Like I've just found it's a really great way to help people realize, okay, wow, I wasn't clearly I was I was thinking like this. And I need to start thinking like that. Fantastic. So, so the exercise essentially, you, know, you start yourself, then see that the, that was there's a lot bigger space, and then be able to just acknowledge that there's more there, and to see a bit of the scope. Yeah, and I also try to throw. You know, I might say, well, what if then I start to connect dots, maybe that they're not thinking about. I think that's also too. You know, because where innovation, as you know, the future is already here. It's not evenly, just not evenly distributed, right? Like one of the best quotes ever because it's so true <laughs> and so, it's like well, what if this was here yeah so, and you know as i write in uh, my book thriving and overload part, part of the process is is being able to nurture an openness to experience and part of it is you know and there's many many ways to be able to approach that you know if we're closed off to new ideas and thoughts then we'll never uh, we'll always be limited you know, we have to get to a point where we are open to not just to accept, but also to even look for and to see things mm-hmm. which we wouldn't have seen otherwise. Mm-hmm. And so that's part of a shifting process. And there's many ways to do that. And that's, I suppose, one of the things you're doing here is to nurture the saying, oh, I have been closed. I have had my blinkers on. Now I see the value of opening out. And hopefully that's creating some lasting shift of being more open to ideas and thoughts or things which weren't part of the everyday. Exactly. Well, and the other thing that I would add, as I mentioned, you know, a few moments ago is sort of the the well-being component of it, right? So well-being, that it's a complex concept, right? But it to me, it's more than physical vitality, it includes good mental health, high satisfaction, purpose, the ability to manage stress. And, you know, while the research on good health and performance is clear. Um, well-being at, in that sort of context isn't exactly what I'm talking about. That's important, but I actually have two other things that I actually look for in people before I work with them um, is having the mental clarity to imagine what could be. So you have to address, you know, you have to have your sort of well-being house in order in order to, to sort of be there. And then this is also very important is letting go of fear and ego and having faith in the future's possibilities rather than coming from a place of scarcity. Because, you know, the data on anxiety and burnout that people are experiencing is overwhelming, right? And I... <laughs> I think there's a lot of baloney and lip service out there happening around what companies are actually doing to address this. Uh, you know, I have conversations with chief talent officers and what they tell me is frankly quite shocking. And so that's why I think it's really important to, to understand where people are at because when they're exhausted, when people are tired, you fall into a scarcity mindset, right? You think about what you don't have um, and you're not as adaptable you're not as open, you're not as open to learning or new ideas. And so again, if you're, if you're not starting there, then already you're, you're at a deficit, you know, if you will. And so just like professional athletes who continue to invest in their physical and mental um, health, not just before the race, but it's all the time. I believe that leaders have to be fit 
um, fit to face whatever comes their way and for however long it takes so they can support themselves and others. Um, and so, you know, I often joke when I do speaking engagements that if every executive had a psychotherapist and an executive coach, we could all work together better and we could all clock in about 20 hours a week. Now, I'm not totally kidding when I say that from personal experience as well as what the science is starting to tell us. But the other aspect of this is really, you know, we're preparing our minds, right? If we're an athlete, we are preparing our mind. And so you have to recognize unconscious biases, limiting beliefs, and assumptions, right? Because, I mean, there are nearly 200 cognitive biases that affect our thinking and decision-making. Like that sheer number in and of itself uh, should teach us some humility <laughs> around what the, what the brain can do. On top of that, if, if that already wasn't hard enough, there are a lot of psychological barriers to future-mindedness. So it's the tyranny of the urgent, um, being crazy busy enhances our perceived status and self-worth. I, I always say busyness is the new stupid. I'm starting to believe that maybe I need to like make this into a t-shirt. <laughs> and so, you know, part of why I do, you know, that's a lot, right? And so part of it is figuring out where people are at, whether it's an individual, their company, their team, and then really kind of figuring out, okay, what are sort of the most important things on a psychological level on a wellness level like if people come to me and they're harried if they're feel harried or i don't have i'm like now's not the time for us to work together because i just know the job to be done is going to just be that much harder yes yes well i mean it's we know and there's plenty of research which shows that if we are stressed and anxious our field of perception you know both visual and also in terms of just the world narrows you know, it's just it's surprising. You know, if we've got if we're stressed, it's probably we should be focusing on something right in front of us. So we need to get beyond that in order to be able to perceive uh, more broadly. Exactly. Very quick break to point you to amplifyingcognition.com. You'll find a stack of resources to help you get to next level thinking, sense making, and decision making, including the Humans Plus AI Learning Community with extensive courses and events free downloads from my book, Thriving on Overload, the Thought Weaver app to achieve more with AI, productivity programs for individuals and companies, and far more. Now back to the show. So part of that uh, journey is, I, I suppose, imagination. And you know, so you can provide some of the pointers, say, oh, you, you missed that, and you missed that, and here are some other things you hadn't thought about. But of course, they need to be able to do that for themselves, to imagine what might be possible and uh, how they should be uh, preparing for that. So how do you take people on that journey of imagine, of nurturing their imagination? Yeah. So just like, again, the athlete who is constantly conditioning themselves, I, I advocate for same goes for this, right? And in fact, ho my hope is, is that you actually never stop because in my own personal journey, as I went from a former type A overachieving, stressed out, 100 hour week executive to who I am today, that was a seven year journey and I'm a vastly different human being. Right. And, and, the, and the way that I work and the things that I see, it's just, you can't even compare. So, this is, I've actually done the work myself and sort of walked the journey so I could empathize. I get those people, you know, because I was them. I was, I was you, you know. And so, 
at the simplest level, imagination is the ability um, to create an idea of something that doesn't yet exist, right? So it allows us to explore what's possible. It's like a mental mining expedition, if you will, into uncharted uh, territory. And so, you know, we have a long way to go to fully understand what imagination is, but we do have important insights about it from um, cognitive science, neuroscience, and humanities. So imagination is actually a neurological uh, reality. Our brains are constantly updating with numerous cognitive functions that really um, enable this awesome power that we as humans uniquely have, which is also super important in the age of AI, right? Um, and so as we think about imagination, there are really kind of three aspects to the process that are important to understand. The first one is um, imagination is about relationship building and connection building. And so we do this by combining and restructuring things to explore ideas and to create new meaningful relationships um, between them. The second thing is uh, time and perspective play a role. And so imagination is a method of thinking and framing that allows you to step in the present, revisit the past, and then anticipate possible futures. And then the third thing that is important to know about imagination is, and this is my absolute favorite, is imagination has a trigger event. So it begins with a mental spark um, that are catalysts or surprises that throw everything into question. They spark your curiosity and they start shifting your perception. And so to answer your question around, well, how, how do I start helping people with this is one, just even understanding that this is how it works. I remember when I first learned it, my mind was blown. I, I couldn't believe it. I was like, wow, all that, that stuff is actually happening unbeknownst, you know, in our subconscious. We don't know that this is actually happening. Um, and so what I do with clients and people that I work with is really kind of three things. First is helping them get intentional about what they care about and what drives them nuts <laughs> because aspirations and aggravations relevant to the work that you're doing um, will enable you to notice triggers that actually form the building blocks of imagination. So for example, I care deeply about helping leaders create the space for emergence getting them out of the day-to-day -day so that they can create this continuous future-focused growth. I am very passionate about pioneering alternative ways to build, fund, and grow companies because much of what I see isn't sustainable or working for most people. You know, we desperately need to reimagine business models, funding options, roles. That's what you and I talked a, bit, a little bit about on LinkedIn, right? And so these are some of my aspirations and aggravations that are always kind of bouncing around in my head. The next thing is to notice productive surprises. So, so you've, you've laid groundwork with your intentions and then you have to prime the mind. So surprising events are everywhere, right? It rains, you weren't expecting it, but the triggers that are useful for imagination are the ones that challenge your thinking, that sort of seem out of the ordinary. Um, <laughs> my shorthand for this, which I'm dating myself in terms of how old I am, is the uh, CNC Music Factory song from the 90s, 1990, I believe it was. The things that make you go, hmm. So anytime, yeah, I'd be literally, I could feel in my body, the things that make me go, hmm, right? That is something that um, might be worth exploring. And so 
to kind of continue the thread on my example that I'm sharing, you know, several years ago, I experienced a triggering event that really compelled me to start um, developing a different way to approach foresight. I was talking to the CEO of a venture-backed scale-up about my consulting offerings and, and what she said doesn't matter, but it gobsmacked me. It just like, whoa, out of the ordinary. And so this surprising conversation really triggered my imagination. It threw everything into question. It caused me to get curious, ask what if questions and think about, okay, what could be new potential courses of action? And then the third thing or component of this is really creating the conditions for uh, productive surprises. So again, your mind needs to be prepared to act um, so that you can see and sense things more deeply. And so this is where it connects back to the well-being component is we know from neuroscience and cognitive science that you actually have to be in a rest and digest state, not fight or flight, in order to harness your imagination. I mean, I was blown away when I learned that. So that is why you have great ideas in the shower or why you might while you're taking a walk in nature. And so the only time that your mind can start making those relationships among things, playing with things in a, in a new and different way subconsciously is if your rest and digest um, nervous system is activated. So, so I think, so this, as you say, you get the, the imagination gets sparked by these surprises or productive surprises. So part of it, as you say, is being in a, you know, more uh, open state of mind, uh, you know, more closer to alpha state. But there's there's more to it than that because I think there's some people that whose imaginations are sparking all the time, and there's others who, you know, we can probably observe outside, and you know, maybe their internal experiences they're not they're not imagining lots of new things all the time, and so I think we think there's we need to it's not just yes we the times of the day or times state of mind where we can are better. Um, you know, prepared for it. But there's, I think there's a longer process of nurturing that ability to imagine. So how else? I mean, and again, the mind-body, which you described, and I think it's all part of that as well. But, um, you know, is it, can, is it in seeing the value of imagination that people start to do that? Is it just simply being aware of that? What are other ways in which we can get people to be more prone to imagining? Yeah, that's a great question. I mean, I think that is the starting point because it is a lot for people to process. Like I'm still, you know, I, I discovered this two years ago and I'm still, it's still knocking around in my head. Um, so I think that's a great jumping off point, you know, and, and you can take it sort of to the next level. Again, awareness is, is half the battle with a lot of these things. And so things like mind watering, uh, wandering or daydreaming, like, no, like actually, no, make this a habit, uh, you know, things like this, I think, because people are going to have to experiment with what is going to work for them. Not everything, just because, you know, daydreaming or, you know, walking through nature might work for me. I've actually had people tell me the things that I would have never anticipated is actually what gets them into that rest and digest state. So I do feel there's a little bit of personalization and, and experimentation that needs to happen. And then, you know, a lot of it is also just the awareness of, okay, and, you know, I'm so excited to read your book because I think there's a lot of harmony between our work 
and you probably have a lot of thoughts on this, but you know, the information by which we're seeing, the amount that we're seeing it at, like it's it's a lot. And so, you know, I've found at least in my work and my own personal experience, by starting to practice this hyper-awareness, if you will, but hyper-awareness and this rest and digest state, which actually feels very, you know, opposed or it's almost a paradox, right? But once you sort of get to that state, uh, I have yet to, I don't want to say, I will never, but I've yet to meet a person that hasn't come back to me and, and says, wow, okay, I'm seeing things a little differently. I'm connecting things that I wasn't connecting before. I'm using, you know, all of the creative fields, you know, uh, art, music, they have their raw material, right? Their own raw material. Well, likewise, same goes for, th- for this. And so, you know, I'm taking all these different pieces of raw material and I'm starting to, to make things in- into something that I just, I wouldn't have anticipated or I didn't realize that watching the, like one thing that I love watching are shows about, you know, I'm a big history nerd. And so I'm always watching <laughs> historical documentaries and just things that I, I, I continue to be surprised at how I'm like, hmm, there might be an application way over here, right? But it's because my mind, like I continue to practice to be hyper aware, but yet in this rest and digest state. Yes, yes. No, I love love the idea of hyper awareness. Actually, I, I sort of use the same concept for myself. And part of it is that people, some people, uh, either don't want to meditate or say I can't meditate, and you know they they just sort of have this thing right. Meditation is just not not for me. Whereas hyper awareness is in a way, basically the same thing or an aspect of the same thing, but you can bring it to people in a different way. And it's also completely part of our everyday, as in saying, I am actually going to be as aware as possible of my environment. And that's a, it's actually a beautiful state of mind because you're living completely, you're living richly, you're not just wandering off thinking about other things, you are, you are there. And as you say, that totally brings you into a state of mind, which is of openness to to ideas to perceptions to see more of the world you know it is richer thinking which is um you know what what you're trying to engender so to round out i want to sort of make this as grounded as possible in terms of what it is that people can do and so what are any tips or approaches or strategies that people can implement to take you know, part of the, you know, the, the wonderful uh, space you've described today into their lives. Mm-hmm. So I'd say a couple of things. Um, so in the, sort of the first area around um, cognitive biases and sort of starting to address your blind spots, I you know, step one is to be aware, right? The best way to prevent cognitive bias from influencing the way you think or see or make decisions is by being aware that they exist in the first place, right? Um, secondly, challenge your own beliefs. So once you're aware that your own thinking is heavily biased, continuously challenge the things you believe. Whether and you know this is where divergent perspectives, talking to people. I mean, I talk to everybody because I never know what I'm going to learn or what is going to arise from that conversation. Um, and then 
as if I haven't emphasized this enough, slow down and relax because that allows you to receive stimuli in a very different way than when you're sort of running around in sort of that um, fight or flight mode. Um, I would also say, you know, I talked about um, mind wandering, but there's a lot of different things in terms of switching on your rest and digest that you might not think about, whether that's listening to music, journaling, stargazing, going on a drive, cooking, lingering over a meal, doodling, gardening. <laughs> I've tried to like capture as many as I can, but doing those things, making time to, to reflect and just sort of allowing um, the distractions to sort of come your way. And then I would say, and this is more on the intuitive side of things. There's, there's a couple of, you know, tips that I have. The first would be prioritize, right? Establish clear priorities for your work and life because your intuitive responses are driven by the brain's limbic system, which is response responsive to whatever you're establishing as a priority. So I love practicing daily pauses 15 minutes, you know, of time to unplug. My uh, my clip is 20 minutes. Every 20, I'm standing up and I get around and move. I don't care what it is that I'm doing because I feel like that movement recenters me. You know, it it, it it clears my mind. And, you know, then I'm actually able, you know, I don't look at my phone, but I'm just actually just getting up, moving around. I might just walk back and forth and it's, it's game changing. It sounds stupid. It's like so simple. Um, but I would say it's pretty game changing. Um, the other thing I'd say is trust thyself. Always. <laughs> I mean, listen, it might not always be right. And you have to be okay with that. Right. I think that's more of the question, but you know, when you're honing your intuition and your imagination, trusting yourself and sort of releasing that resistance, because, you know, we do doubt ourselves. Again, this is your anxiety ego playing a role. And so our cognitive minds may overthink a situation. This is when analysis paralysis comes into play, um, even though, you know, our gut intuition may be telling us something else. And so trust yourself as much as you can, like you got it. And then take it slow, create a practice that calms the nervous system. Stress and overscheduling our ability or impedes our ability to imagine, to, to notice, to use our intuition. I mean, all these sort of things. I mean, it really does fundamentally come back to, to that component, which it's not easy. I'm not, I'm not being flippant about it. I know yes. <laughs> I've walked the path, but it is important. Yeah. No, no, everything, you know, everything we've, talked about today is all about amplifying cognition. It's all about thinking better. And these, you know, many of these things which are, which people miss, you know, uh, you know, sort of using their uh, electric brain stimulation and all sorts, which can be useful, but in fact, <laughs> just uh, sitting back and having a, getting into the more relaxed state of mind. And as you say, having open yourself to seeing the world more is uh, just makes such a, it has to be the starting point. Yeah. And it's a marvelous thing. And it, it is game changing. It truly is. Once again, because I operated very, very differently and to where I am now, I, I see like I feel the difference in everything I do and how I show up and what I'm seeing and noticing. And it's just it's a it's a marvelous thing. And that's what people feed off of, you know, when I work with them, too. So I'm like, well, wait a second. Why don't I show you how to do this? Right. <laughs> you can do it, too. Fantastic. So 
where can people go to find out uh, more about your work? Yeah, so you can go to my website, um, reganrobinson.com. You can also follow me on LinkedIn at Regan Robinson. I share a ton of tips, practices, habits, uh, provocations, and perspectives to really help you spend time in the future and more. And so, yeah, I'd love it if you would follow me there. Awesome. Thanks so much for your time and your insights, uh, Regan. It's been a real pleasure speaking to you. Thanks, Ross. I enjoyed our conversation. Thank you for listening to the show. If you really want to amplify your cognition, go to amplifyingcognition.com, where you can access a trove of useful resources to make your mind better and more effective than ever before. If you liked this episode, please do help us be found by giving us a rating or review, and subscribe if you want to hear more of this. Thank you for listening and have a wonderful day.